Marlene Limas, and um, I'm the CEO of Pay Prevention, and this is kind of a cool part of my job um, that I get to interview the movers and shakers in the violence prevention world. I'm really excited about it, um, and we are welcoming you to the first episode or first version interview of Disrupting the Dominoes, and that is Disrupting the Dominoes of Violence. Um, I'm here with my first guest. Um, really cool person, and I'm excited to ask her my set of questions, uh, Magdalena Diaz. Hello, Magdalena. Hi, Arlene. How are you? Great. So uh, I haven't seen you in a while, except on social media, so I'm really <laughs> super excited to have you here Same. in person. So what's been going on? How are things? Yeah. So things are going great. Um, like We met when I did my ESD global training back in 2019. Uh, at the time, I was just doing the training um, because I was working as an advocate in a campus and just wanted to have those skills for the students I was working with. But since then, that has shifted kind of the work that I do. And now I've been doing a lot of empowerment self-defense in different colleges, so not just in the college that I work for, but just across California. Um, the pandemic kind of slowed that down a little bit, uh, but we're starting to pick up um, with my co-trainer, who Michelle Pereira Enriquez, who's also a... A graduate from ESD Global, um, we're starting Soul Warriors ESD, uh, which is our own um, organization to start providing these types of training out in the community. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm so proud of you too. Yes. <laughs> very cool, very cool. Okay, so I think that you know that pay prevention is hoping to take um, empowerment programming, ESD programming, um, human safety skills, uh, as we're calling it, into the workplace. So what does a safe workplace look like to you? Well, um, I think it's obviously a space or a workplace that understands that violence can occur to anyone. I think that there's this myth or idea that violence only occurs to certain marginalized people. Um, and we tend to forget that violence impacts can impact anyone. Right. Um, and so being aware of that, being mindful of that, not forgetting that you could be, you know, at the highest rank CEO in a company and that you can experience, still experience violence. Um, being aware of these things is super important um, because I think that leads to having a trauma-informed uh, workplace that allows for people to be able to be open about these right. situations and then also be open to asking for help. Right. Um, and I think we get there with skill building, with having these conversations that violence doesn't just happen in the home that impacts all parts of our identity. Um, so it's a place where, again, we are aware that these issues impact and can impact anyone um, and that we create a trauma informed space so people can feel comfortable having these conversations and asking for help. And then having the appropriate resources, because at least based on the work that I do, I think that that's where we there's this gap. That even if people are understanding of someone's, um, you know, the violence that they're experiencing, they don't know the resources. Right. And right. they fall through the cracks. Right. Um, or then or we put our own biases onto what someone should do or shouldn't do. When we have the resources, we're able to step away from that and allow people to, you know, seek the help they need. And we're just kind of that support that they need. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think we discussed it a little bit when we were off camera that. Workplace violence, in my opinion, covers more than just workplace. Mm -hmm. um, so things may be happening to employees outside of the workplace that can spill into the workplace. Um, and our programming can uniquely help people heal from things that may have happened to them before or empower them to help them work through that. Yeah. So 
Yeah, I mean, and a big deal is identifying the resources that you have as well that you mentioned. So and at, at PAVE, we're trying to present that, um, especially after our post, during our post-programming, what type of things we're trying to uh, leave behind. Okay, let's get on to our second question. Our next question here is, how has your path, you mentioned that you came through the ESD Global uh, Intensive Program in upstate New York a couple mm-hmm. years ago. How has that shifted, um, you know, what you've been doing, shifted your path, or how has it changed your life? It's changed my life drastically. Um, again, I kind of shared a little bit. Um, when I went into, so I come, and this is really important for me to mention, and I mention it whenever I have these conversations, because I come from an, um, you know, anti-violence work that I've been doing for over 10 years. The way I was trained is that self-defense skills are not something that we should be teaching, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of stigma around that. Even to this day, those are the conversations that I'm having with a lot of stakeholders um, when I'm trying to bring self-empowerment self-def- self-defense to the colleges, Um is what are we teaching when we're telling people they have to learn how to defend themselves? Um, I kind of had that same mentality because I was trained that way, right? That we tra- mm. we only provide like shelter or we only provide like calling the police. But the reality is that that doesn't always work for people. And teaching empowerment self-defense is really also prevention because even after someone experienced victimization is learning how to own their power again and set those boundaries, right? So I came from a very different lens. I was even skeptical myself um, about doing something like this. But I, I heard some of the students that I was working with that they wanted some kind of skills that um, incorporated physical um, safety. So I went into ESD Global's training that way, like still kind of skeptical, still like I'm here to learn, see what I can get from this um, and take it back, but not completely sold on the idea of teaching empowerment self-defense um, for survivors or just as prevention. And that training in New York really shifted my mentality because I was able to see, incorporate that the emotional safety, the resilience that a lot of folks already have within them, the emotional uh, resilience um, is great, but we still need to teach the physical resilience yes. because a lot of us are not told that we're physically powerful, right? Yeah. Especially after victimization, it's really hard to reconnect with those parts of us. Um, and then we talk about like how we're socialized due to gender. Like the, using my physical power was never something that I felt was available to me. Like I always knew I was emotionally resilient. I always knew that the folks I was working with emotionally resilient. If someone asked me, "Are they physically strong?" I would be like, "I'm not sure, right? Like I don't think so." Right. right. So that training really shifted that mentality for me and brought in the work that I do, um, where I started teaching empowerment self-defense as, yes, this is prevention. Um, yes, this is also a way of, to heal after trauma and to start building those um, tools that we need, build upon those tools that we already have, which is the emotional resiliency, to create safer spaces for us. And also to empower us, empower us to go and when we see violence occurring, how do we address that? Right. Um, and now I teach empowerment self-defense, right. right? Even outside of my work, which I never saw myself doing that. That's awesome. Um, and I've met really cool people. I, you know, I really, I'm, tr- we're trying to b- bring into the empowerment self-defense work that we do our own philosophies, um, with my co-facilitator being women of color, being part of a lot of marginalized communities and also disrupting that to make empowerment self-defense more accessible to yeah. all folks. Wow. 
Um, so yeah, it completely changed my life That's to your great. question. That's great. Um, I'm still doing anti-violence work, um, but I also now I'm an empowerment self-defense instructor. I've been teaching empowerment self-defense courses for college campuses mostly. Um, I've been teaching some trauma-informed courses for some groups in Latin America. Um, just taught uh, one class for a group in Oklahoma um, of Latinx um, promotoras, so a peer-to-peer -peer, uh, model that they have. So I'm really in there with empowerment nice, self-defense. Nice. It's it's interesting to, on two points that you two points I want to touch on that you've talked that you talked about one about how you were you know still seeing some blocks some roadblocks or obstacles about how you know empowerment self-defense is perceived. Mm -hmm. So we at Pave we've been also dealing with that as well, and our goal is to frame it in a way that it rings upon corporate ears corporations ears or the c-suite ears that um gives us a chance that lets us in the door yeah. you know and if that means we need to call that assertiveness training or that needs we need to call that employee engagement then that's what we need to call it yeah. we know that yes it's those things and so much more and um there was another point that you brought up <laughs> um Ah, it'll come to me. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just so excited, you know, because I do remember you coming to mm -hmm. New York and, you know, I could sense a little skepticism. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm super excited that you've embraced it and you've, you've, you know, you've added it into your wheelhouse, which is was already a large wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. So um, and I did remember my point. So it's interesting that you feel you went from the verbal skills or the emotional skills and then you needed the physical skills. Mm -hmm. I came to the empowerment movement, the empowerment self-defense movement on the opposite. Mm -hmm. I was surrounded by athletes that had the physical skills, mm -hmm. that were the best of the best at Olympic level, Taekwondo, Judo, boxing, wrestling, but didn't have those other skills to set a boundary. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of cool that we came yeah. to it from different angles. That's awesome. Okay, let's see what I've got here next. So... Do you have any personal uh, uh, experiences using uh, these human safety skills, empowerment, self-defense skills, um, or do you have someone within your circle uh, that has a success story on that? Yeah. Well, I think that this is like a really uh, complex question for me because I can tell you a million stories because I think the skills that we teach with empowerment, self-defense go beyond just actually someone coming up to me on the street trying to attack me. This is like how I assert myself on the day-to-day, -day, right? Which for a lot of folks, even that work in anti-violence movement, is really difficult, right, to do those things. Because when you're in the helping profession, boundaries, even though we teach it, is really hard for us to assert those because we're there to help others, right? Um, so I think I can give you a million examples of this, the smallest type of way that I've seen how that has changed for me. Um, but I can think, you know, and I can think of like a larger scale when victimization or violence is occurring uh, and how we can use the skills. But just recently with COVID-19, I actually had been working from home um, since March up to August, right? And one of my biggest fears in going back to work or concerns when it came to COVID-19 is how am I going to assert myself when people are not following those these guidelines, right? right. Um, I work in a campus that has over 40,000 students, about 5,000 employees. So it's really hard to kind of, you know, contain like how people are dealing with this, right? And I had this 
huge concern about it. Like, how are we going to do this? I was, I, I kept thinking, like, we should have some kind of training, an assertive, yes. you know, training to, like, when we deal with people that don't want to, especially when you're talking about college campus, you know, there's a process that needs to follow when someone is not following the, the guidelines. So the employee is not necessarily the person that's going to, um, you know, find go through the process. We kind of set the boundary and then we have to re- refer to the appropriate office. So I kept bringing that up and that was like on my, in my head all the time. Like we should be teaching these right. things. Right. Yep. And so I kept asking within my office and there was really no answer. Like, and I know a lot of my colleagues were not giving um, a guideline on how to address this, how to set our boundaries in these types of situations. And I actually just had a situation where someone wasn't wearing a mask during a meeting and I was super nervous, right. right? Like, how do I do this? Especially because this person is experiencing trauma. So I have to be mindful of that. Um, but also my own safety. And I do 100% believe that because of the training I went through with ESD and now that I facilitate ESD, that that really helped me feel confident in setting those boundaries yeah. and saying, you know, can you please wear, the, please wear the mask? Even though, like, I think the Magdalena before 2019 wouldn't have done that. Wow. Because I was so nervous about setting my boundaries and putting my needs mm-hmm. first um, because I was worried about, one, the v- violence that could occur towards me if I did that. And just also because I was al- always so mindful of other people's feelings, right? Right. Yeah. And that's part of the emotional thing that we teach, that even with the physical violence or the physical skills, people worry, like, I don't want to hurt the other person, right? Other needs always come first. Right. So I can, like, in a very small scale, even with COVID-19, that really yeah. helped me. Yeah. Um, I think at a larger scale, I was just having a conversation with a colleague about the violence that she experienced while working in, um, you know, the anti-violence movement and how, and I guess this is like the opposite and why it's so important to teach these skills, how difficult it became for her to go through this when her organization wasn't able to help her, right. even though it's an organization that works in the anti-violence movement and that they the people that she was the stakeholders that she was going to couldn't even give her like the support or safety that she needed or skills that she needed to keep herself safe yeah it's amazing to me you know through the research that we've been doing with pave just how in my mind it was a no-brainer right flight attendants should know how to de-escalate they're never given that training Mm -hmm. emergency room nurses Never given that training. I mean, it really has been a huge eye-opener. I knew that we could do a lot of good, but now I'm even more like, oh, we need to get out there and do a lot of good. But it's funny you're talking about using your boundary-setting skills with uh, within COVID. I was in a meeting with Luis, our CFO, virtually, and I'm in a co-working space, Mm -hmm. and I hear this craziness coming out of the conference room. And it keeps going and it keeps going and swear words are flying and and it just keeps escalating. And I'm like, please hang on. Something is happening. I need to use the skills we're trying to impart. I'm going to go in there and bystander intervene right now. Um, But yeah, it's crazy. Um, But we do use those things every day. And now because it's become so natural for us, we don't even realize we're using, Mm -hmm. which that's what I want for everyone. Yeah, it is. And again, I can speak from a place where, like you said, you came from a place where the physical component was already there. I'm coming from a place in a work environment where it wasn't expected for me to set boundaries or to have these skills because in the helping profession, it's such a weird 
um, situation because we're teaching other folks how to be empowered and how to like set boundaries and how to put their needs first. But when you're in the the in the helping profession, when you're providing the services, you're not taught that. Right. Which is right. another huge part of the empowerment self defense that I do is bringing this to um, you know ser- like service providers for right. them to have those skills, not just with to teach to other folks, but for themselves in the workplace, right. because that's the other reality that we see a lot of times in nonprofit. There is also violence occurring within, you know, yep. the colleagues or the or or even higher up, right? And how do we do that to create safe spaces for us to continue doing the work that we love? Yeah, yeah, great, great point. Okay, so this is my last question. This <laughs> okay. has been awesome. I feel like I could talk to you uh, for a lot longer on this. And um, so this is our last one. Uh, if you could convince one person or sit down and have an audience of one person that could move our movement forward, who would that be and why? This is a really good question. And I don't have a person uh, per se, but I think another thing that um, Empowerment Self-Defense helped me see beyond like um, just sticking to the people, like asking for help from the people that we already know are on this, like get it, uh-huh. right? Because this work can become so um, closed off, right? Like, oh, those people don't get it or the people that have money don't get this work. So we're just going to work really hard to try to come up with money or figure it out on our own. Um, and how like that's not really helping. I think the reality is that um, we need to ask people, like stakeholders, like CEOs, people that maybe don't have the knowledge but can actually fund these things because I think that's another lack of like we could all sit here. I can sit in a group of people that do this work and we can have the greatest ideas. But if we don't get those people that have the funding that can actually make things happen, we're I, I mean, not saying that we can't do it, but we're like working super hard for right, something that right. can be so much easier. Well, that's our job. That's <laughs> Paige's job. Yes. Okay. Our job is to get out there and connect you to those those C suite individuals or at least give you an opportunity to impart some programming and then go from there um, and frame it in a way, like I said, that rings on their ears. Because yeah. clearly we know that good work has been done for many, many years in pockets or mm-hmm. in silos of communities across the United States and now across the world. Um, but it hasn't become mainstream. Yeah. The value hasn't been presented in a way that you know people go, we get it. Yeah. So Pave is, you know, trying to do that. Mm-hmm. I think so. that's what we need in this in this work. Like we need to stop feeling like I think sometimes it's like we want to protect it right. so badly, but we're I I think at the same time we're not allowing it to grow the way it should be growing yeah. because we're not allowing other folks to come in and also give them the like you know the option to grow and learn like yes. expectation that they're just not going to get it um, is doing a disservice to the work that we're doing. All right. Well, thank you again for this. Thank Thank you you for being a disruptor (laughs) and um, joining us on the Disrupting the Dominoes podcast. Thank you, Arlene. I'm really glad to be here.